John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. W what is hot route? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Down! Come on! Ready! Down! Set! Hut! 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 Hit me! Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom! It's time for the Soonerscoop.com postgame show presented by Eskridge Lexus in Oklahoma City. Eskridge Lexus is the official travel partner of Soonerscoop.com podcasts. Now, here's your road crew, Carrie, Eddie, and Bob, wrapping up all the action and reaction from this week's game. Welcome back. It is the Eskridge Lexus post-game podcast. That's, as the season goes along, I, I struggle to figure out which podcast we're on, especially after difficult losses like today. Sooners lose it to Kansas, uh, Kansas State. We've been watching Kansas State here in the office. They lose it to Baylor. Josh, that's your fault. You said that this game reminded you almost exactly of the Kansas State game, and I said you're exactly right. So that's why I thought they played Kansas State for a minute. Uh, but no, they played Baylor. They lost 38 to 35. Dylan Gabriel throws three interceptions. The de defense, you're going to have to forgive us because we're watching games here that are coming down we're to close, the wire. We're closing out games here. Texas just holds uh, on to win in Manhattan, 34-27. Not that it matters because OU's completely out of any scenario that you could dream up to make it into the Big 12 championship. They are? Now. What? Already? <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, we're, we're happy to have Josh McQuistion joining us. It's an honor uh, when we get uh, one of the biggies uh, to join us on the lowly Eskridge Lexus postgame pod. So welcome in, Josh. You know, I thought when you dropped my name about a minute ago, I was like, if I just sat here in silence, they're going to think Carrie is bombed and has no idea who he's actually talking to. And Josh is not actually a part of the podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, mixed emotions here. Watching the Astros up 3-1 in the sixth. Feeling pretty good about that. But at the same time, don't want to walk on OU fans' graves. That's, uh, that's a tough one today. I, I, guys, I, like, like you said, Kerry, I mean, it just felt like every time OU had a chance to get control of that game or just take the lead in that game, they just found a way to just kill themselves. Is that not the story of the season, though? I mean, every single time that it feels like this thing is moving in the right direction, they just find a way to, I want to say a different word, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm here to tell you it is moving in the right direction. Oh, And no. this is not like oh, sunshine no. and rainbows, but there was Kansas State, and then there was TCU and Texas, and that, now we're back to Kansas State bad. Yeah. Like, it got a lot worse after Kansas State. It got better today, but it's still not good enough. I mean, look. This is how I feel about OU's football. This is my manifesto. This is my state of the union address. Josh, he's on this. He's, he, he hit me with it when, he, when I walked in over here today. So I'm ready. Uh, like, and to me, this is so much more this season about wins and losses and uh, bowl games. And there, look, I'm on the record of saying the goal of this, this season is to not lose recruits. Like That's still goal number one. But in all, so winning your last three games – I wouldn't give up on that if I'm an OU fan. I still think that you want to win all the games the rest of the way. Uh, but here, here it is. Brent Venables has taken over a team. It's not about the roster completely. It is about the defensive line. Uh, but it's not about the roster completely. 
Uh, this is about Brent Venables taking over a program uh, with a defense that's been allowed to slip into. Oh my God, Alabama with Bryce a Young just unbelievable scramble play to give uh, Alabama back on top with four minutes left. This is not about. Uh, well, this what it's, this is about is I'm not drunk. I swear it is the only one drinking. Um, Brent Venables has inherited a program where the defense over 10-plus years now has gotten so used to just doing enough to win games because they've had historically successful offenses and players like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts uh, and offensive lines that have all been drafted in the NFL. Uh, you know, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown, Sterling Shepard. I mean, just keep going down the list. Uh, some of the best players in the NFL were on these offenses. Uh this defense, everybody that's played in this defense is used to being carried by the offense. They've never had to have a culture that is, we're going to go out there and dominate this game, regardless of what our offense does. And no one has ever, they've never demanded that mindset from this team. They've just tried to make it better. It's just like last year. When, you know, I mentioned, like, I think last week on the pod, uh, when the first uh, football playoff rankings came out last year. OU was 8-0, and they were like ninth or something in the rankings Yeah, because no one was impressed with the way they were winning. And we all said there's a problem with this team, and Lincoln Riley was get pissed off at us in press conferences and you know limit our media access because he just felt like there was too much negativity. Like, the fans aren't stupid. They can see what's going on. We're not stupid. We can see what's going on. And Brent Venables is in charge of a team defensively that is the most mentally fragile unit on a major foot in a, in a major football program program that exists. There's no defense at Notre Dame, Alabama, put Clemson in there, put anyone that's even not even those out Penn state. Let's go Michigan. Like this is the most emotionally fragile program that exists in a major uh, at a major traditional power. Like, it's fallen so far. Like, Brent loves to say the standards is the standard. The standard here is just do enough to let the offense win. And I feel like that's his biggest challenge, and that's the thing that I've noticed about this team. You mentioned the Eric Bailey tweet, Eddie, when we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, let me pull it up. The uh, the fourth and one. Uh, I mean, at that point in the game. Fourth and one. They go for it on the 29-yard line. It's nothing new for Dave Miranda. He does that. Like, yeah. they should have been. there, And coming out of a timeout, too, where you burn a timeout. But if you get the stop there, you have the ball on your own 29-yard line. Yep. Like, you're at least going to tie the game with a field goal at that point. Uh, and so they get the first down. And the amount of gashing plays that they had directly after that, they showed no resistance. That defense crumbled. Yeah, it's an 11-play 11, 11 touchdown drive, 8-yard run. This is after the 4th and 1 pickup at their own 29. 8-yard run, 6-yard run, 15-yard pass. And after the 15-yard pass, it kind of felt like everybody in the stadium was deflated. You were across yeah. the 50-yard uh, line. 10-yard run, 12-yard run, 8-yard run, 10-yard run for a touchdown. And they're back up by 10. And, like, you know, and the funny thing about it is, is you can talk about the defense all day, but if Dylan Gabriel doesn't throw three interceptions, that's ten points that Baylor doesn't score. Yeah, and I mean they scored ten points off of turnovers today. The tip balls in a three-point game. The tip balls is one thing, Josh. It didn't seem like the his third one was his fault. You said that he threw it behind him. Yes, but the you know the first two, it's just they're tip balls. Like what? 
I don't know. I don't know what Braden Willis was doing by just batting a ball straight up in the air in the middle of the field. Yeah, it just, I don't know. It's just, I, I keep going back to this idea that every time that we think that this thing is headed in the right direction, they just, they find new ways to, to screw themselves. Going back to the first half even where... They don't know how to close. They don't know, yeah. they don't have a killer instinct. I mean, put whatever adjective or, or But it's or everybody, and it's not it. just the defensive side of the football. Yeah, but I, I mean, just specifically, like, the only player that I feel like the last few weeks where I'm just like, damn, he's starting to get it, is Deshaun White. That's the only one. Yeah, and unfortunately, he has three games left in his career. Yeah. And, I mean, I think Billy Bowman being back today was a big lift, and he had an interception. Sure, sure. Uh, but you still see weird stuff from Key Lawrence. Uh, you see, I mean, like everybody else on that roster. I mean, David Aguebu didn't have a great game, but then when you put, like Brent said, when you put a true freshman in there, that's when they went right down the field was yeah. when Canick was in the game. Yeah. And it, it just, they have a lot of, I don't know if it's missing pieces, Josh, but it's just, it's not there. Like this thing is what it is. I think that there's a little bit of apathy within the fan base right now. Just kind of where you throw your hands up in the air and you go, well, I mean, this season was already lost and today was just no surprise. It wasn't a surprise to anybody. You know, the thing you know, kind of comparing the K-State game a little bit. If nothing else, what I think we've seen the last two weeks, Oklahoma's pass defense is becoming solid. It's good. It's good enough. Like, yeah. Blake shaping through for 132 yeah. yards or something today. Like, uh, yes. People and I know, are running the like, ball because they can't throw it. That's what happened with Iowa State. Yeah. But Actually, they tried to know, throw it 57 times. Yeah. And, and, and people look at Baylor's yards per game, and it's it's one of the lower ones in the Big 12. It is. But you also look, they've got one of the better QBRs in the league, like 151. It's fourth in the league. It's ahead of Oklahoma. And he was at 100 today. Like, in, in spite of all of Gabriel's problems, he was actually better from a QBR perspective by some measure than Chapin was. So, I, I like, again, and I realize that's kind of silver linings and people don't want to hear that stuff. I, I talked all week, and I know I certainly wasn't the only one, if you can't stop the run against Baylor, you're not going to beat Baylor. Like they just, I mean, I, I like you knew they weren't going to dominate, but I thought the first half their run defense was good enough to win that game. They got put in some shitty spots and they were okay. The second half, Baylor just nickled and dimed them to death. Just five yards, seven yards, nine yep. yards. Like yep. it wasn't the big pops. It was just death by a thousand cuts. And that that's kind of what it felt like that whole second half to me is they just couldn't get off the field when they needed to. And guys, to me, I mean, like I, I know there's been a lot of chicken or the egg. Like, is it coaching? Is it talent? I don't think there's any position that it's more clear that there's a talent deficiency than along that defensive line. Yeah. They have no difference makers up front, just none. And Ethan Downs has been a disappointment. Reggie Grimes has been a disappointment. And, there isn't really anybody. I mean, Marcus Stripling hasn't done anything. It's like uh, Lualu was a captain today uh, based on the fact probably that he's the only one that did shit recently. And I mean, mm -hmm. but but at the same time, we can talk about, you know, pass rush. Uh, the linebackers are sometimes they're doing their job. Other times they're it's, not even there. It, it's amazing to me, and especially from being down on the field where you can kind of see. Uh, things open up behind the offensive line. Sometimes they're right there. Right. Fitting gaps, awesome. Uh, trucking people. Trucking, like looking really, really good. There's there's moments where everything comes together, and then there are moments where a guy breaks through the line, and there's just nobody. I It's hard to explain. Like, there is nobody within 
10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And you just wonder, like, how how does this continue to happen? Guys, Kerry, you mentioned Law, Law, say his name. I can never get it right. Lualu. Uh, Jonah. Yeah. I, you talked about him, and I thought he clearly was Oklahoma's best offensive lineman against Iowa State. Yeah. He gets named a captain. He doesn't start. Like, I, I don't know, like, th- that – I, I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe he didn't, maybe he started last week because Grimes wasn't quite full speed or whatever it was. But like in a world where this is a meritocracy, like why did he not start? Like, why? Well, I mean, and I realized he played and that's fine. Like I get it all, but I, I don't know. Like it's stuff like that. We are like, you, I feel like there's some element of like, you just keep trying to shove a square peg into a round hole when Oklahoma's defensive ends are just, they're not, they're not there. Like, I, I don't know why, why they keep trying to be forced to be something they're not. Yeah. And that's something that I mentioned to Carrie earlier. It's like, you knew you were going to have to come in and run, and be able to stop the run. And they just, it, it, it's almost like they're banging their head into a wall saying, we're going to continue doing this and try to build the foundation for the future. When it's like, well, it'd be nice to try to win this game. I know you're trying to build a future and you're trying to build a foundation, but and at some point, God damn, you got to be able to stop the run. That was like a hiccup there for me. Um, it's just the I think I think what everybody looks at the fans look at just the inconsistency. Like, yeah. how can you do it for so many plays, uh, and then you have that drive, eleven yard drive or whatever, eleven play drive where every play is over like eight yards, and it seemingly feels like there's no resistance. Like there is no there there are moments during a game where you feel like okay things are starting to come together they're going to be able to get off the field the crowd's getting loud they're into it and then there are other mom, uh, moments where it's just like this is PTSD back to where where they were like back to square one they're not going to be able to do shit see like what i'm seeing right now LSU is just like fuck you we're going to go score yeah and OU has moments like that and then they have a uh, Not with phase. four minutes left in the game. Well, no, but like, but then again, they did go down and score Two with minutes left five minutes left. Yeah. I mean, we can get to that here in a second, but like even the, the drive right before half, you have a chance to tie the game up or take the lead, and you have a penalty that knocks you out of field goal range. Well, here's the play that represents everything that's wrong with or an OU's, easier field goal. With an OU's defense is they have to stop Baylor from getting a first down or the game is over. And the running back goes for 47 or whatever it was and, and takes a knee on his own because he knows scoring is not what we want right here. We want to run out the clock. Like, that exemplifies everything that is shattered with the mentality of this defense. Like, that's one play you have to make or here, the game is over. It's done, And it was. It's, you lost the game knowing that if they got a first down here, and there was no resistance. They not not that there was no resistance. They got killed. Like they blocked everyone. Here's the other thing, and this can kind of get into the offense and the other, you know, just the other flip of this. Everybody that's coming after the quarterback and Dylan Gabriel. I know he turned the ball over. He was he was far from elite, but isn't that kind of a synopsis of just like what? is wrong with everything that everybody goes, well, they don't have an elite quarterback. That's, yes, the, that's problem. the problem. When the, the, they gave the up, thing. I'm, I'm looking I'm it glad up. you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up. That That is my thing right now. The fan base, you have to adjust the way you look at OU football because you're doing all the things 
that let the defense off the hook for years and years, which is you cannot look at Oklahoma football as we have to be the best offense in the country and we have to have the number one draft pick at quarterback because it is, you've never, it's never going to build the type of program that Alabama has, that a team that's literally going to have a shot at winning a college football playoff. You might be better off as an OU fan just hoping that OU remains average to better than average on offense so it will shine a light on this defense and all the players in it that says you guys aren't good enough to win a championship of any kind. Because at this point, I almost think that's the only way that's going to change the culture at OU because these guys, they're not changing. They're They're not doing the things that have to be done in order to to get better on defense. It's a, it's a culture. It's it's ingrained, it's set in. It, it's it's burned into who they are as football players. Guys, do you remember before last season we kind of had a conversation about whether a guy like Pat Fields could be a starter on a national championship team. Look at that defense now. There is one guy that I feel is capable of playing on that level of defense. And it's Billy Bowman. There's one guy, and last you year mean I thought the there were a few. The safety. I, I mean anywhere. Yeah, I mean I think Deshaun who, who White's I, playing better than anybody has in three Deshaun years. Deshaun White's playing. No, you're right. I, I guess you're. Uh, I'm talking about more can get to that level. Yeah. I don't know if Deshaun White's ever of that level, but he's absolutely playing good football right now. Like I don't like that's a conversation we could have. I just don't know that he has that elite high end. You know, he can go to a different place. Um, I think Billy Bowman, if he wasn't cleaning up so many messes, could be a, an even better player. But he he is he almost plays like a sweeper in soccer. Like oh, I'll fix that, I'll fix this. Like it's it's really good if you can recognize what he's doing. But it's, but like we said, Jaden Davis is playing better this year, and he did get hurt yeah. today and didn't come back in the game. But they missed his run stopping ability as a corner today. Like yeah, uh, you know, stuff on the but, outside and. The thing that's frustrating is you see some guy like Jaden Davis, Eddie, we know this. We talked to the kid. He's one of the most thoughtful people on this team. Extremely bright. A very bright kid. Like, he cares, and he cares about his teammates. Like, he wants to be good. He doesn't want to suck. He's not here just to screw around. I, I same, the, same with Woody Washington. Woody Washington, too. I don't know if Key Lawrence is that guy. I don't know that he has the ability to look down deep and say, you know what, what I'm doing isn't good enough. Being inconsistent week in and week out is not good enough. Like, how many of these guys are coachable? How many listen to their coaches? I, and I bet Brent, Brent Venables knows the answer to that. But, like, you do see some guys, Josh, I think, that contribute that can contribute to winning football. And I sure. think, you know, I think Danny Stussman cares. I think I think that David Aguebu cares. I think all those guys care. There's a matter of, is it, there is a difference, though, between caring and just not being able to do it. Well, caring yeah. and, and giving enough giving enough effort to where you're consistent all the time. Sure. And uh, like it, Jay, it, we talked about this, Jalen Revin's a perfect example. He cares. He's trying to. He's busting his ass. But at some point, how much? Like he's almost at a disservice or a disadvantage because he's he's not playing in the right position. Basically, a nose tackle because they have to. Yeah, he's the one getting screwed over because they don't have anybody else. Sorry, Josh. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. And again, Carrie, my point was more to the, like what you're talking about, where the standard is the standard. Like, yeah, there are there are guys that are good football players, and I mean they're playing good football now. 
But like to get to the place where you can win titles without Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray as your quarterback, there, there's one guy that, that can make that kind of difference. And you need eight or nine of them. You need, I mean, Bama's got 11 of them. Georgia's got, I mean, Bama's got Georgia 22 of them. Today. Yeah. I mean, Georgia just played, you know, games with that yeah. Tennessee offense that yeah. nobody else could figure out what to do with. No, I mean, you're not wrong. But I'm just, and they're starting freaking Stetson Bennett. And it's obviously Gabriel over Stetson Bennett. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it is about the talent to some degree. I said that at the very beginning and and the defensive line, it definitely is about that. I mean, Mm. it's just not good enough. Yeah. And I don't, and like, when's it going to get better? Like there's nothing. I know that they still have a top five class and they have guys coming in and, you know, we'll see if anything happens in that regard, but it just doesn't seem like there's, anything on the horizon that would make you feel better about the defensive line play. No. And not unless that there's not it, that there should be. Unless you know be. you're going up against a shittier team. Yeah, like not mm-hmm. not not that there should be, but at the same time it's like how many how many years now has mm-hmm. OU showed up and there are games where they just get physically manhandled at times. By the way, you know who was in the office tonight? A guy they could really use. Yeah, right they now. could use Isaiah Thomas. But Isaiah he's, Thomas stopped by. He's uh, he's doing well, and he's making plays on Monday Night Football. Yeah, he's like sacking that, quarterbacks a, in the NFL. That's right a perfect now. example of you know probably something. And we've talked about this before. Just by the way, Nick Benito also had his breakout game this week. And those are guys that obviously would be helping, but then you look at what they have right now, and it's just it's just not good enough. I like Jordan Kelly. We heard about yeah. Jordan Kelly being a great, you know, he's going to have Isaiah, this, this great Isaiah offseason. Isaiah Coe, I mean, you, you pointed it out in the, in the preseason, was playing with a broken thumb. Oh, in the pregame? Well, yeah. and here's the other thing. It's like Isaiah Coe ended up playing with a broken thumb today, but he has one of the biggest mental errors of the entire day. Yeah. Like, the, the, that's the most surprising thing to me is how undisciplined this thing is uh, on November 5th. Like, they keep making just – bullshit penalties. I don't, I don't know, Josh. It just, it, it's frustrating to watch. Well, I wanted to say, I wanted to get Carrie's opinion on that. The, the co penalty. Did you think that was just bad luck, Carrie? Like it felt like he was falling and just reached and then just happened to get the mask. Like it didn't look intentional from the one. I only saw one angle of it. Yeah. So I'm not going to say like I, I had a definitive look at it. But I just saw the one angle, and it was kind of off the corner, and it looked like he, the the Baylor lineman was just pushing him, and he, you know, and he kind of knew the play was ending, and it looked like he was trying to regain his balance, and he just, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't look nasty, like it, it didn't look I don't like know. a guy. I, I, I thought it looked like cool. it looked like a guy that was just playing past the whistle, yeah, and it just looked so bad because yeah. he's. He, yeah. he led with his helmet into the pile, and he just he just happened to land right on top of the player he and was going after. It wasn't a play that. Wait, which player? We wait, wait. What are we talking about? I'm talking about the one where Co took the guy's helmet off. Yeah, oh, got called for the got called for the penalty. But you, but yeah, we're also yeah, talking yeah. about the guy that got kicked out of the game for Baylor, right? No, that was on that was on defense. Okay, that was on yeah. defense. That was yeah. on a play oh, that yeah, yeah. Co would have been on the field then. Yeah. Co, yeah. He he basically. You're right, Josh. He got locked in, but it was so far after the play. You have sure. to have some type of, uh, That's fair. you know, like you just have to know where the play is. Like you have, it was two to three seconds after the ball carrier, after uh, was it Danny or a made the play like disengage, 
it's fourth down. You've made the stop. Get off the field. Yep. Go celebrate yep. with they, your teammates. And you're getting into this bullshit over on the uh, in the middle of the field, right in front of everybody. Like that was one of those turning points in the game where, you know, you get off the field, they're probably going to have to kick a field goal because it was fourth and eight inside the ten. Yeah, I mean, and it's also like you know, Andrew Rame had a terrible. He had a hold and a the, and a face mask the, at the, on the same play. Yeah, like right before halftime, where, you know, Schmidt. That's a for the way that he's kicked the ball right now. He that's a that's a chip shot yeah. for him. And as it you know, as it turns out, you're kicking a fifty five yarder. He he had enough leg. He just missed it. You can't you and can't really, fall I mean, back on making a fifty five yarder to try to tie the game at halftime though. Yeah, he had the I, distance. I'm never blaming a kicker for missing fifty five. Like that's no, just a, that's but a he's ball. kicking a fifty five because of a hands to the face penalty on an OU center. Oh no no no! Like I, I'm just saying, I don't put that on Schmidt. Like, hey man, you miss like fifty five. Yeah. you hit it. That's just bonus. But in in but like you the, lose the game by three because it went back fifteen ugh. yards. And in the grand yep. scheme of things. That's the type of shit that will get you beat against a good football team. Turning the ball over will get you beat a, against a good football team. Not being yep, able to stop that, the run gets you beat by a good football. Like they did everything that you possibly could to put your team at a disadvantage. Guys, I, I, I said it in the report card after the game. I don't know what to focus on because <laughs> as many mistakes as they made, it's pretty damn impressive they were in the game. Like, like you're kind of, but at the same time, I'm like, but you still screwed the pooch. Like you played terrible and made so many mental errors and you screwed yourself time and time again. But man, you, you were, you needed a fourth down stop to get the ball back and give your offense a chance. Like, uh, I don't know where you look on that kind of deal. Like yeah. what, what you put 530 yards on a Baylor defense that has given OU fits the last couple of years. That and that's the thing. I think that's the thing that eats at people the most is the fact that you did give yourself a chance to win the game as as much as it, it's kind of like the Kansas State game and in, in the fact that you didn't give up a third and sixteen this time, but you just when and Ted Roof he opened with it after the game and I know a lot of people aren't going to want to hear it, but they put themselves in a position to get off the field. And, you know, we're nine weeks into this thing. They just can't. They can't get off the field in big moments. And that kind of goes to what Takeri says, uh, just as far as they're – it's almost like they don't have a backbone right now. Like, they just are waiting for it to happen instead of yeah, anticipating. Yeah, they're waiting for the shooter drop. Yeah. And then when it does, they, they, they crater. So, I, I'm just looking at the stats. I hadn't looked at some of the final stats. Baylor started off the game one for six on third down. They ended four for 13, which means they went three for their last seven. And it just, I mean, the, OU was stopping them on third down until they weren't. The and problem is just, they're three of three on fourth downs. The, yeah. And the first third down that I, I want to say they're in the uh, fourth quarter, that was a third and eight, correct? Say that again. Was, was the first third fourth down that they had a chance to get off the field with after they cut it to three with four minutes left that was a third and eight I believe I I have it I have it yeah that was a it was a pass it was and they picked up 14 right right and it's just like you've done you've done every it was Woody Washington I think that was over late Woody or Billy I can't remember you've done everything perfect to that point you have a chance you have two timeouts left even at, at that moment to get the ball back to your offense and you just you get you can't get off the field. You give up a fourteen yard play, and well, I mean, after it goes that, back it was, to the Adrian Martinez. What was the third and fifteen or third, sixteen third or whatever? And sixteen. And it gets fifty one or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, it, I mean, it just like 
there are certain elements where it feels like they're close. They do so much well, but that, that like little 10% that is out there that they do bad. It is, so, it's so bad that they can't it's, rebound it's from it. It's self-destructive. Like yeah. it's self-destructive behavior. Yeah. And, and go ahead. I, to me, and just, I mean, to kind of continue, every time they make a mistake, they pay for it. Like they don't ever get away with a mental error. And I don't know if that was just, we got used to Oklahoma's quarterbacks bailing them out time and time again, or what it was. But every time you're like, that's going to hurt them. You know, it. like you just know it, it's going to kill them in a play or two. And you know, like that, I think Curtis Fitzpatrick put up something was like, what are the odds that OU gets out on, you know, gets the ball back here. And I was like, Third, three and outs, fifteen percent. Anything past that, zero percent. Once Baylor got that first first down, that game was, it was over. over. Yeah, because you just knew they were not going to recover. And I, that's the thing. That's why I've said it's it's the culture because we've seen this time and time again this year. And I don't know how you fix that, uh, other than you just have to keep coaching them and hoping they start making some of those plays when they need to. But it's not going to happen against Baylor. I mean, they're just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they have too many, too many. They've been too good on the offensive and defensive lines for years now. But I mean, yep. still, like Oklahoma still runs the ball really well with Eric Gray. I mean, you know, where would this offense be without Eric Gray? <laughs> like that's uh, that's a serious statement. I mean, he does everything for them. Even they might have to make Khalil Faruka starting running back. It just I and then you go to the fourth and one. It's like. I know, I understand that, like, you can't play Eric Gray. You can't give him the ball literally every time. But that seemed like a pretty important play. Why Why not you know, give the ball to Brady Willis? But here's the thing. I think it was Conjol that got beat on the block that, that allowed them to stuff it. It was almost like he just fell down, though. Yeah. Like, Marcus Major, I, I don't know. I think I'm almost done. It just, I know it's unfair because he's been banged up. And, you know, Javante Barnes was there today. He went through uh, pregame. But they got to get somebody else back there because – and there are moments where he, he runs the ball well. Like, he ran the ball well there in the uh, north end zone. Yeah. But it just – I don't know, man. It It's almost kind of mind-blowing just how bad that thing looks at times. Yeah, I, <laughs> then they tried to, you know, they they hit Mims early, and you're like, okay, you're going to get him involved, and then it just like, where was he the rest of the day? He had a couple catches, but what do you what do you end up? He with? was targeted four times on the day, or no, he had four catches for 120 yards, and 60, 70 of that was on one play. Five targets, five targets, four catches. I I just uh, I don't know it. I don't know how – guys, to me, if, if Jalil Farouk, Marvin Mims, and Braden Willis aren't getting almost 20 targets a game combined, you're doing something wrong. I'm almost, like, I'm almost ready to, to throw somebody else in the mix here. Tell me what's so bad about, about making Drake Stoops a bigger part of the offense. Catches the but he does something good every time he touches the ball. That touchdown run he had. I mean, he if you get him the ball inside the ten yard line, he wills his way into the end zone. 
and the thing about it is, though, it's like, and we've already said this, they they almost had 500-something yards of offense today. It's like they scored 35 points. That's as close as you can get, yeah. It's not – I don't walk out of there thinking, yeah, that was the offense's problem. I mean, I, that's just what you do after a game. You you pick apart every little thing that cost you when no one thing ever cost you a game. I mean, coaches say that all the time, but it's true. Like, that, the, the rain penalty didn't cost them the game. Because that ended up in a missed field goal. It didn't, but it's all part of but the it's part process. Of the, yeah, it's of part the of game. it's all these things that you do that are stupid. That at the end of the day, you're like, if we didn't have those, we would have won the game. Yeah, and they were able to force a couple turnovers, but then you don't do anything. If like you that. don't throw three interceptions, you win that game today. Yeah, I, or at least if, have an opportunity to kind of pull away. If you just throw two of them. You probably win yeah. the game today. Would they get ten points off 10 the points uh, off three turnovers? turnovers yeah. And then the third one crushed that drive late in the third or late in the first half. Like would have. Yeah. Oh, you look like they were moving in the right direction. Yep. Exactly. Just. I mean, and you don't know what'll happen, but I mean, th- there was. That was the one time all game where it felt like, oh, this is Oklahoma's getting some momentum, some momentum here, and then they just threw that pick, and it just it looked like it all and and to you know we again. I didn't feel like in the first half, I didn't feel the defense was great in the first half, but they were good enough to win in the first half. And I, they, I mean, there's that crushing play. You, you could have felt like you lost the momentum. Defense gives them the ball right back. And I mean, you know, they, they've got a chance and I get it. Now, guys, something somebody brought up to me, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a good point in a way. So you guys remember the USC-Utah game where there's the whole Caleb Williams scramble and then the the Pac-12 refs basically find a way to give USC like 10 extra seconds back on the clock to run a few plays at the end of the game there. Well, that Dylan Gabriel scramble that gets called back on the Andrew Rame thing, it's the same principle. Like by the way, by what the Pac-12 had established, they should have put time yeah, back on the clock. I think it went clock. down to like five seconds and the play yeah. started. It was like, you know, 16 or 15 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, again, it's the wrong call in the Pac-12, but if I'm Brent Venables, I'm like, I saw what happened out there. Do that for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> – this is, this is what we do after losses. We're back. Yeah. We're back. This thing's back. Oh. It, it It's just – it's – like I said, though, it's one of those things that it feels like this has happened so many times over, you know, especially this year, that I don't think that anybody was necessarily surprised how that no, unfolded. But today. here's the thing. It's about the rest of the season. It's about how, you know, Brent Venables has to find out a way to attack this because it is, it is a, you know, it's one of those situations that, you know, it's a cancer in the program. They've got to figure out how to how to get these guys to take the next step. Yeah. Because it's like you just mentioned, it's not just defense. Offense doesn't execute in crunch time either. Yeah. I mean, they had the defense came out with what? They was it Baylor scored on their first drive and then it was two straight stops. I think maybe the offense scored on one of those. Out of the first half? Or I mean second, the second coming half. Coming out of the second half. Let me go to the drive. They took well Yes. Okay, so, no. Uh, or, yes. They, Baylor, 
third drive, 15 minutes to go. They got it on the kickoff. They scored a touchdown. Uh, it took them. It was nine play or nine play, 75 yards, 404. Because that was the that was the drive with the co and then they base mass. They punted twice. Uh, then they went three and out and four and out, and they punted. And OU scored a TD. Or OU scored a touchdown after that second one. But then Baylor came right back and scored a touchdown. And then OU got the ball back and they punted. And OU was the last team to score a touchdown. And then, I mean, obviously Baylor could have scored again. Yeah. For the uh, the OU fans out there that do want to talk, take a walk down memory lane. SMU is currently beating Houston seventy-seven to sixty-three. Yeah, Tanner Mordecai had seven touchdown passes in the first half. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like T- the drive six. chart was TD, TD, TD. There was no stop. He had six in the uh, second quarter, I believe. That is unbelievable. And see, that's the kind of football that you shouldn't want to watch if you're an OU fan anymore. Those days should be over until this defense is fixed. I just, I'm at the point now where it's like, I, I don't know if it can be fixed. I don't know if it can ever be fixed. I, I think Brent I mean, Medbulls can fix it. Obviously. Uh, new players, they have to get in, you know, better players, obviously. Can, but, yeah, but can you fix it in year one? No. But I mean, there's going to be a lot no. of, there's a lot of people, like these dumb motherfuckers that I see on Twitter that it's like, well, Brent Venables, he's saying he's a great defensive coach. Is, uh, you know, what this dumb fuck say to me? I just had to see, see it. And he just got it. a fresh beer, so he's into it. Brandon Brandon Henderson, you're gonna you get your name on the podcast, you dumb. <laughs> f- Venables being a defensive genius might be the overstatement of the century, but I'm sure he'll say the right things in the presser about how we'll learn and grow. Do you f- not get it? Do you people not get it? Like I, what else? I'm just at the end. Uh, I'm kind of like you talking about you know some of the stuff you see like during the games. I'm glad that I don't have reception down on the field. Because, like, the overreaction and just, like, the, like, oh, wanting it's, to make grand statements yeah. about how... It's just tantrums. People are throwing tantrums. And I know it, like, it makes them feel better, but it just... Yeah, don't I don't know. Keep it, me out of your mentions while you're t- throwing your tantrum. The face. whole thing is, it, it's not good. Nobody's saying it's good. It's like this other person. We understand that DG is the best we have, but that is unacceptable. We need an elite quarterback, not an average quarterback. You spoiled motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> do you not realize how good the quarterback's play's been over the last three, four, five years? Like, you're just Some spoiled. of the best in the history of college football for you're one program. Spoiled. not the best. That's why I keep going back to the, like, when we were doing the pods during, you know, during the 17, 18, 19 years. It's like, this isn't normal. It's we not normal. There's nothing we, about we, what they're doing mm-hmm. is normal. Baylor averaged South five Carolina- points. Dying for a quarterback that OU fans rejected. Yeah. Baylor averaged 5.9 yards a carry, and people are obsessed with the quarterback play. They were getting six yards a carry. When they wanted. Like, whenever they wanted. I'm trying to find some of the worst mentions during the game today for you. I just... To make you feel better that you're not the only one. I mean, it's, it's just funny to me that, like, people want to have these excuses like, well, it's it's the quarterback's fault. And, and it kind of goes back to what you were the saying, The rabbit Perry. hole that people go down, like, to find criticisms, I do that, amazing. though, with the Thunder, and I do that with the Cubs. Like, I want to 
throw it at somebody to make me feel better. And I, I blame Tom Ricketts, even though it is a lot his fault. See, some of these are just trolls, but like when you start going down this rabbit hole to, to, to vent, BV came in, looked around and said, I can work with what we got. We don't need to turn over this roster and I don't need to use the transfer portal to upgrade and win now. I mean, like 40% you- of that roster is new. <laughs> what the f*** are you talking about? Now you're just like making excuses that like, and I think there's a lot of people that, you know, tweet and send us stuff during games and after games. They don't care. Like they don't, they don't, they just want OU to win 50 to nothing so they can go into work on Monday and yeah. be able to brag about it. Hey, and you know what, OU fans, if your guy next to you in the next, in the cubicle next to you is no OSU fan, you can still talk shit. He had a worse weekend than you did. Sure. Or just get a gun and kill him. <laughs> we're going we're going just falling down here. I'm kidding. Eddie, I'm, I know you don't I'm know that kidding. reference, but I'm kidding. Yeah. We're going full Michael Douglas. I mean, okay. Uh, you gotta get us banned for hate speech. Um <laughs> here I mean here's like it's not all bad. Like here's one person that actually has a sane take on things. I kind of appreciate seeing it. Uh says um, this was a much better loss than the first three. Fellow Sooner fans, if you're not willing to be realistic, then you're in for continued misery. I think that there is a conversation, though, to be had that when you're talking about what was realistic this year, and even after the losses, like coming over here the, the last couple of weeks, like what was realistic. And again, today you go back to, you know, even these these points that we're talking about and not being able to get off the field in third down and that kind of stuff. And that's what's frustrating. Like, they should be able to find ways to get off the field, and they just can't. Jeff says, after watching the Pansies in Palace, flipped over to Georgia versus Tennessee so I can watch elite players and coaches. Well, no shit. That was one versus two, bud. (laughs) Like, you... Guys, guys, you flip from a five... Top five team this year. (laughs) Yeah, you flip from a five and three team that's now five and four and struggling to get to a bowl game. That's the problem. I mean, people... I mean, like, look, be realistic. Like, I don't want to turn into, like, you know making excuses for anybody, but realism is not, it was never that this team was going to be, uh, you know, raise their way to number one in the race. But there's, there's a difference between realism and kind of embarrassing the university, isn't there? Yeah. Hey, I, I got bored of watching a slow pitch softball game today. And so I came and watched the Astros and it was better. Like they're, they're just a better team than those slow pitch softball teams. So it's very exciting. But now I, I, guys, I mean like they're like, I think people are struggling to deal with where this team is and where they wanted them to be. They're just not the team you wanted them to be. Like you've got to embrace that, accept it. But there, there is improvement being made on this team. Like I legitimately believe that the offense, if it can ever just stop shooting itself in the foot is playing very efficient and very good football. Like they're running the ball consistently. They're throwing the ball pretty well. Hell, Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims connected on a deep ball today. I don't know what else you can say. I mean, th- that's progress all by itself. <laughs> and then th- that's not th- good. Defensively, the the pass defense is better. They are they are making tackles. They're closing space. That it's not perfect. I'm not telling you it's an elite group. But guys, I would say over the last two weeks, that's as good a pass defense as we've seen Oklahoma play in years. Yeah, I mean it's 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 competent. Like at, yes. at times it's yeah, competent, and it doesn't look like they're just kind of, you know, they get a few bad throws that get the other team off the field. 
Absolutely. It's not like they are making tackles in space and forcing third and five instead of looking at first and ten. Right. I I agree, but at the same time, everybody's got to be honest with themselves about what this team really is and and yep. what where it's lacking, and and not just in talent. Are they going for two? Looks like they're going for two. Uh, LSU, LSU going for the win. Go for the win. But you know, lacking in talent and and lacking in you know just straight out you know being a fucking baller. I mean, they just have very few of those guys. Yeah. And I think that that's the most frustrating thing is is that, you know, they were able to get away with it for so long that now you look up and, you know, shit kind of hits the fan per se, and they just don't have those guys. And, you know, I, it's, it's frustrating to watch. There's no doubt about that. They just, and, you know, especially for, you know, people that have been watching this thing for a long time, it's like Baylor's just a better football team right now, even though – yep. Even though you walk out of there feeling like, you know, to a certain extent that, oh, you probably should have won the game. Like if you don't turn the ball over, if you don't make mistakes, if you don't have penalties, but that's all part of being a disciplined football team and they just aren't. And I think that's the most frustrating thing, Josh, is that like I, I, everybody thought when Brent came in because they preached discipline. They taught, you know, he said it after the game. We've been talking about this shit for, he didn't say shit, but we've been talking about this for 11 months about being a disciplined football team. And they just don't get it. Uh, I mean, I think guys, and we've kind of alluded to this, you're reprogramming a bunch of guys that have been taught to accept, you know, Oh, we can let that slide. We can let this slide. That's okay. Like, because this guy is going to take care of it. And I think you still see that because guys, like you said, Baylor is a more complete team than Oklahoma. Do they have the same level of guys? Like, do they have an Anton Harrison? No. Do they have a Marvin Mims? No. I don't think they're better at quarterback than Oklahoma is. I don't think they've got a defensive back that's as good as Billy Bowman. Like, I think Oklahoma's high points are better. But they are not as consistent from beginning to end as Baylor is. Baylor doesn't have a glaring weakness. They don't have a bunch of, you know, shining strengths either. LSU wins. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I was just looking at that. I missed the whole play. But, I, like I said, I mean, you've got to be real about what this team is. I think, I, I, like, somebody on the board was like, I was thinking 9-3 and three last week, and now I'm back to 5-6. and six. I don't know how – I don't know if there's going to be a rain delay or a rain out or something. But, uh, guys – I still think eight and four is entirely possible for this football team. Like that didn't change for me today. If, if they will, I mean, today was Dylan Gabriel had more interceptions than I think any day in his career. Like that's not going to replicate itself. Yeah. And the other thing, like one of the most frustrating parts about the game today was fans were upset that it took them so long to score. It took them four minutes to score. And I was like, what do you want? Like you I, I was, I was you, one of those people that was like, they do know they're down by ten with six minutes left, right? It just, it didn't seem like there was any sense of urgency. I guess is what I'm saying in the fourth well, quarter. Well, the, the problem was the the thing that was working was running the ball, and that wasn't going right. to be a and, quick score. And, I mean, and 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 as it turned out, they played it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, you could have got the ball back with three and a half minutes if they would have got the fourth and one stop. Sure. Uh, no. Yep. Well. Third, third down stop. Third yeah, and eight. Third. Yeah. Before uh-huh. the 14-yard right. throw. Yep. Like, you're going to get the ball back in 
like almost right. too yeah. much time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Down by three. So and the time management was not a problem to me. No, but I just like, I think as you know, you get the ball back with like what nine minutes left and then they start moving the ball and the running the ball and you look up and all of a sudden, you know, there's five and a half minutes left and you're like, Oh shit, they're down by 10 with five and a half minutes left. Like there is no sense of urgency out there, but it, it ended up working out. So like, look, you had two timeouts and they had the ball and they were going to run it to run the clock. I mean, that's how this works. Yeah. So you had enough time. You just had to get the first, you had to stop them from getting a first down and they didn't. I mean, it just goes back to the idea that any time that this team needs to get off the field defensively, they can't do it against a, you know an offense that is competent. Now, the good news is, well, good news and bad news. <laughs> bad news, <laughs> two of the next three weeks, you're going to be playing a competent offense. The good news, I guess, isn't it? If you want to really like spin zone this, your next home game, it might be an offense that's not competent. Against yes. Oklahoma State. Right. JT Daniels and whoever Tech throws in at quarterback, though, I have no, I have zero confidence that they can get enough stops to win those games. And, and I have by zero. By the way, Tech goes for it on fourth down every time, too. I have zero confidence that even if they are able to put those teams into, you know, I thought one of the bigger plays today was uh, the. I think it was a hold that pushed Baylor back to third and 20 there in the first half, or it might've been third quarter. And, you know, finally you're able to get off the field, but you had to have a penalty. You had to rely on a penalty to get you off the field, basically. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the rest of the season is just about trying to change this, this team's mentality. And it's not going to change in the next six days or the next, 12 days or the next, but they need a spark. They need to see some type of spark. I mean, like they'll, they'll put, they'll give up some points to West Virginia next week. Yeah. And then if that happens, you just got to hope and trust that a, you don't turn the ball over and B, you don't have enough penalties that put you back in uh, really bad spots because they are running the ball. Well, like as, as much as you want to talk about and you know, rightfully so that, that uh, Baylor averaged five, nine, a carry, Oh, you averaged what five three? You can live with that. Yeah, I mean, it, I think Eric Gray was like four six or something. Eric Gray mm-hmm. was he? I mean, yeah. he did everything today. He's one of those like he averaged yeah four six today. He's one of those guys too that it seems like he's not picking up a whole bunch of yards. At least for me, like looking through the viewfinder or the LCD screen on the camera. And then you look up, and it's second and three. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, he, he got 106, and his long was 17. Like, you can tell he's just six, seven, eight. Like, he just, again, kind of like what I was talking about with Baylor, just nickel and diamond you to death. Like, you, you know, okay, we're going to be in. He just keeps putting you in second and four or, you know, taking third and five and making it a first down. Like, he's just getting you what you need to put you in good offensive down and distances. All right. Well, so this is what it's like covering a team that's five and four. We're learning. Like what? Liberty Bowl? Seriously, is that Liberty Bowl, Texas Bowl? That that probably the best they can do right now? I 
I think probably something like that. Maybe, maybe you can backdoor into, uh, I don't even know what the bulls called out in Arizona. It's Camelback. I know that. It's it's not the cheese it's anymore because that's back. Orlando. It's the Camelback Bowl. That's the only thing that we have it's to the, live what for. What used to be the Insight Bowl. But it, it just it's like, like yeah, I don't know what. It I is mean, anymore. it is what it is. There, it's it's far from even with realistic expectations. It's far from what anybody signed up for. It's borderline embarrassing. Not full but embarrassing, just kind of borderline. You can't be like it, just truly embarrassed by today. It just you kind of had to expect it, right? With where they were following Texas, I think anything seven or five, seven and five or better. Yeah, you got to be like, yeah, because you know after that Texas game, people would have taken seven and five in a heartbeat. We we wondered if they could win a game. And yeah, obviously they've, they've been able to win games and I, I, you know, they're not going to go Oh, and three here over this final stretch. And I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, if they couldn't go three and Oh, that'd be disappointing. They could go three and Oh, they could, they could, 100%. but, and, they and, and I think when the dust settles, if you're able to do that and you look up at the end of the year and they're eight and four as bad as this shit is right now, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, realistically would be able to live with that but it's just how they've done it that is somewhat embarrassing as far as you look back and there's just so many points in a game where you feel like they can take momentum or they can build off of what they're doing on the defensive side and hand it over to the offensive side or vice versa and they're not able to capitalize and I think that that's the most frustrating thing is it's just like they don't learn from any of their mistakes in a way. Well, guys, it, you know, Kerry talked about it early and he's right. It's about keeping this class together. Like that's the biggest priority right now. And, you know, I, I know that the coaches would never say that, but that, that is your lifeblood. That's how you're going to get better because there is some clear talent deficiency problems on this roster that there just are. So you get that class in, continue to try to build with 2024 and then I think you a, a lot. We'll see a lot because we'll see how much this staff grows. Because I mean, guys, we we all know. I mean, th there are a lot of guys that are new to their roles, new to Oklahoma, new to some of the some of these challenges that they're facing. Right? I mean, even Brent Venables, as long as he's been a coach, he's he's rarely had a season like this, and he's literally never been a head coach before. So there's a lot he's going to learn from year one. To me, year two is where we're going to learn a lot because. At that point, you no longer have the fallback of if Dale, Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, there's nothing they can do offensively. You've got a premier young quarterback. Now, I get he can't run the full offense, but you're going to have someone you can put out there and you should be able to expect to run the basic ideas of your offense. And I, so a lot of the things that are crippling them this year, I'm not saying they all get fixed or they're all right next year, but you can make a step forward. And then you start moving and start building some momentum. But if you see the same stuff again next year, then you've got, then some of these questions people are asking become, they start to become valid. Like they, they start to become things, but I think it's way too early. Like, let's see where this goes Let's see how the off season goes. And I think again, having those 15 practices in the winter and guys, by this time next year, how much of that team is going to be left 
that really has that much connection to Lincoln Riley? Because we know there's going to be more portal guys. There's going to be a bunch of guys go, a bunch of guys come in, a big class coming in. Like, I, I would say 70% of that roster will be Brent Venable's guys. Just rapid reaction, and I know that you kind of hate this uh, question, especially in the aftermath of, aftermath of a loss, but is loss number four different for you than one, two, or three as far as guys thinking about maybe rethinking their commitment? I I think it's much better than two or three. I don't think anybody's looking at four in his life. I mean, that guys, that's not a jarring loss. Like you're like, that's a good Baylor team. They play, they they were Big Twelve champions last year. That's not like a shameful loss. Like yeah. they made mistakes. It was there to be won. But as people that understand football, like especially these players who, you know, with the you know, notable on multiple levels, exception of Colton Vosick, these guys all lose games. Like they've all lost high school games and they know like sometimes you just doesn't go your way, even if you play better or whatever. So I don't expect this to have any great impact. Um, now it's interesting. Anthony Evans, I talked to him a little bit yesterday. He, you know, as of yesterday afternoon, he was trying to get out in front of the weather, uh, to go to Georgia tonight and see that game or today against Tennessee. I, Anthony just, I don't know. Like, I don't get that feeling that he's that serious about a flip. Now, he may go and love it. It changes everything. I don't know. But I just, he's been very upfront about it in a lot of ways, both with OU and talking to me. Like, I, I, I he doesn't send up red flags to me at this point. Now, I'll try to talk to him tomorrow and we'll, we'll know more. But again, I, I, I don't see anybody that this changes their course. Like, if Colton Voss is going to flip, He's still going to flip. If he wasn't going to flip, I don't think it changes because of today. Well, you'll have more feedback on that for this week. And, um, Woo! yeah, we're going to let you celebrate now. Uh, you've done your due diligence. Your your Houston Astros are world champions. I know how that feels. So Eddie does too. Welcome. Not as good as the mm. Cubs winning. This is a, <laughs> well, I mean, this, well, is, this, this is, is the like... non-tainted championship here for you. Oh, here we go. You know, I, I, I've I, technically, I mean, because my fandom has changed too many times, I've been through like four World Series. So, yeah, you, know, you I, were I, a Marlins I'm, fan when we first met. I mean, but yes. And again, let it be noted that I suffered many bad Marlins seasons for those two good ones. So, you know, that's, uh, I, I, I paid my dues and then finally got sick of being shit on by the ownership. So, uh, now just enjoying this Astros thing, which I did not intend to ever become an Astros fan. I fought it pretty hard, actually. So, but uh, yeah, so all you uh, haters out there, especially happy for, the I'm happy fans. for Dusty Baker. I am happy for Dusty that, Baker. Come on, like one of the game's truly good guy, like good dudes. Like I think he's and, been in professional baseball for 55 years. I think is what Dan Schulman said uh, during. It was one of the games that we were driving up to Ames uh, last week. And I'm just gonna say it before it gets announced. If Jeremy Pena is not World Series MVP, we riot. Oh, like I that dude. Think, you think he was will be? Nails. I bet he's not. I, they're not gonna give it to a 20 year old rookie. I mean, They'll he's been he's give been it to Yordan because yeah. of a three run home run or something, that, which will be bullshit. Yeah, it's kind of like the Heisman Trophy. It's it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, I, I do love that Dusty Dvorak is doing Lincoln Riley's game on TV right now. Oh, is he really? Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. Three thousand nine hundred and eighty one games spanning four decades. Uh, for Dusty Baker. So not 55 years, but 40. Well, as plus. a player, too, because oh, okay. he won the World Series. As, you know, he was on the Dodgers team in, what, 81, and then, you know, he was okay. a player for yeah. 
however many years. So I don't know. It's uh, it's back to square one for me though with this football. Team. I will say this. Um, it was it was about as somber as I've seen Brent Venables after a game tonight. I wouldn't even say somber. I think he was pretty pissed off. Yeah, like he was he was very short with his answers. Uh, yeah, I, he was pissed. You know, I it is yeah. He was pissed. I don't. I don't know any other way to say it. He was. He was kind of mad, and rightfully so. And again, for him to be that pissed off losing thirty eight thirty five, it's a different thing than being pissed off losing forty nine to nothing. So, I mean, he's got to set that tone, and I think he's doing it the right way. Well, and I, I, I think that there's also this element of because he has been a part of such good defenses, and because he is such a good defensive coach. It has to be frustrating when you tell somebody over and over and over again, like, hey, this is coming. Or, you know, to feel like you are putting your team in the best possible position to win a game or to execute a play, and then repeatedly it just keeps happening where it just doesn't seem like that message is getting through. And I think that's the importance of Brent Venables in that, you know, he's a guy that, yeah, you see that, you know, on TV they show it like, David Aguebu misses a blocker. Uh, he gets, you know, does something that doesn't, you know, he gets beat on a play or doesn't make a tackle. Like, you see him in his face when he comes to the sideline, and he's teaching him. But also, Brent Venables is not the kind of guy, and there have been coaches in the past, where players just tune them out, and they just say, oh, he's just always on me. You know, I, I think well, he, said it on- he has a better, better temperament for reaching these guys yeah. than just pissing them off. And, you know, giving them to just tune him out. I think he said it on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday's press conference when he was talking about how, you know, they had kind of a, it might have been after the game actually up in Ames, when he was talking about, you know, they had a heart-to-heart with the defense on Friday, basically saying, like, I know that you guys are not going to like me. Like, yeah, you shouldn't right. mm-hmm. like me. There are times you're going you're to hate me. And yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those things where you look back at some of the stuff that he says, like, during the week. And maybe we overlook it on Monday or Tuesday in that like he's almost preparing you mm-hmm. for what's about to come. Like he knows what's about to come and there's not much he can do about it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like obviously like he's not going to come out and be like, yeah, we're going to get beat this week. But <laughs> there are points where you look back on what he says and it's like, shit, he told us. He told us. He told us that they were going to get run over. Yeah. So, I look. It's it's a it's a loss. OU fans, I know you're pissed about it. You don't like it. You want certain changes to happen because that's what you do after every loss. I don't even know if people are pissed though. That I think that's where like the apathetic. I'm just going by my mentions yeah. during the game. Yeah, but like when the dust settles, everybody goes, "Yeah, should have seen it. Should have seen that coming." I I really think the focus just has to be is that you know is this team going to get better? Yeah. For fans. Your question is, are we get are we going to get better before this is over? Not this year. They can they can get through these next three games and win these next three I'm, games. I'm just saying win. Like instead yeah. of losing 38-35, win 38-35. But it is kind of empty, isn't it? Like just as far as the feeling of even if they win these next three games, nobody's going to feel better. It's not empty because it's important. It's important yeah. for the culture of this program to start changing. Regardless Carrie, of record, or Eddie, you're loss. the guy we're talking to. You've got to change your perspective, Eddie. Yes. 
in all facets of life. I mean, you are losing weight. Lead, you look lead, fantastic. Your, lead your followers out of the dark. Well, there's nothing to lead be let people. Out. There's nothing. We want to be you to lead drink, people, Eddie. Drink the sauce tonight. Drink the sauce. <laughs> it's over. Oh, I'm already drinking the sauce. That brown water has been going for a while. Your liver's going to be hurting tomorrow. Oh, your kidneys. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we've been rocking since about, you know, 10, 30, 11 for at the Houston Zoo. So it's, uh, we're, we're having good times. A lot of, little white claw to get the day going. All right. Well, we'll let you go celebrate, watch the post game. Uh, congrats to your Astros. Uh, I'm going to go get the pot up. Eddie's going to drink some coffee and go home, I think. Well, fellas, don't get to do it often, but did definitely enjoy it. Yeah, thanks we'll for joining us. Got to make yeah, it more frequent. Uh huh. Uh huh. Awesome. Well, thanks to uh, uh, everybody out there for listening. We had a, a, one of our listeners come by with his wife today. Uh, I will say this: our listeners have hot wives. Like that's, it's like universal. It's crazy. Sad I missed it. Uh, we kept you away from her on purpose. We didn't want to split up a marriage. Um, so. Yeah, uh, the names are escaping now because it's it's getting late, and I've been up for a long time. Well, you know who you are, and congrats on the hot wife, buddy. Madison and Chris, I want to say. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, so he loaded up on some merch, so that was good. He took home a make Lindsay Street great again flag. Got in some unofficial forty shirts, and he got a trucker hat, Eddie. And his wife told me women love trucker hats. Must have been a poor. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We can laugh. We can joke. We can goof. All right. Uh, well, you just forfeited your cut of your Lindsay Street shirt, I think. that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Eskridge Lexus. Uh they will not be taking us to uh, West Virginia because we'll be flying to that one, uh, but probably Lubbock. So they're our official travel partner. Go check them out, EskridgeLexus.com. Uh, proud supporters uh, and, and, and partners with Soonerscoop.com. They said I could say that. I can't believe they even admitted like they're proud. We love, um, we love Eskridge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. We better get out of here. Uh, we'll see you. Uh, next week after West Virginia for the Lexus Eskridge, Eskridge Lexus post game pod and be back again this week with another edition of the unofficial 40 podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Deal with it. How you got to deal with it. Uh, just stay out of our mentions. All right. Uh, with at least the firing fire, this guy fire that guy. So we'll see you next week, right back here on the Eskridge Lexus post game podcast.